0: the dean pastor of sacred city church and the sacred city life podcast is a podcast to help you follow Jesus in the normal everyday rhythms of life and this is our theology for everyone segment of the podcast where we're slowly working chapter by chapter through the Westminster Confession of Faith a short systematic theology that's meant to help everyday Christians come to understand God, come to understand salvation, come to understand scripture in a more systematic way, a simpler way. Um, it's not it's not necessarily simple, but it's simpler uh, systematic theology. And right now, I've got back in the studio, I've got all three of my pastoral residents. Guys, say hi. What's hey. up? What's up? So we've got Alex over here, we've got Bryson, we've got Kevin serving us today, and we are in chapter three of God's eternal decree, so it's all about predestination, election, foreordination, very controversial things in the evangelical church, and we started uh, section one last time on the podcast. We're going to go ahead and go through two, three, and four today, and I'm going to since I've got such a beautiful radio voice, I'm going to go ahead and read two, three, and four, guys, and then we can break it down. You guys can read the scriptures. We can talk about it. Does that sound cool?
1: Sure. Yep. Good.
0: All right. Two. Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon such, such conditions? Let me paraphrase it. God knows everything about everything. He knows everything that's going to happen. But he has not, as we spoke on last time, he has not looked down the corridors of time and seen what decisions we're going to make and then predestine or foreordain us because of the decisions that we're already going to make. He foreordains, he predestines without regard to anything that we're ever going to do. Okay? We're going to break that down a little bit. Third, by the decree of God... For the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined unto eternal life, everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death. For these angels and men thus predestined and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed, and their number so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Okay, so again, we are talking about predestination, foreordination, election. Those are the big words we're talking about. And these are not just words like the Trinity that we've kind of invented to describe something that we found in the Bible. These words are actually in the scriptures themselves. And I meet many people who, when I say something like foreordained or predestined, well, that's just your interpretation. And I'm like, oh, oh, (laughs) whoa, no, no. These are actually biblical words. And and
1: Paul's interpretation.
0: Yeah, and and Paul's interpretation. So, uh, and this is, and Jesus said basically the same things. He didn't use those specific words, but he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, right? And he said, and he, things along those those lines. All right, so let's go back to Article 2, and um, let's just go through it kind of section by section. Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions. So, again, we learned um, last week that God knows everything that could possibly happen. So, if, if Alex and Bridget choose to have another baby, he knows what would happen if, if they do that. If they choose not to have another baby, he knows what would happen then. He knows all sides of every coin, right? If I go to the up to the to, to the, uh, what's, what's it called up there? Geez, if I go to the casino, casino thank you. Thank you for that. If I go to the casino, he knows what will happen if I put it all on black, and he knows what would happen if I put it all on red. Yet, hath he, and this is kind of old language, so I don't really like this language, but yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future. So God is not making his decrees, his decisions, Because he looks down time and he can say, well, that person's going to choose that, that person's going to choose that, so I'm going to do this. It says, or that which would come to pass upon such conditions. That is not the way God predestines. God does not predestine by looking down the corridors of time and seeing what we're already going to choose. He predestines things in such a way that they are going to come to pass no matter what. All right? So, Let's, uh, do we have any scriptures to, they're going to back that up?
2: Romans 9, 11, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad in order that God's purpose of elect might continue, not because of works, but because him who calls.
0: Okay. So right there, God's purpose for election, not because of works. That means anything anybody's ever going to do, but because of why, what was what, why?
2: In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls.
0: But because of him who calls. God's decision. God's the one making, making the moves here. God's the one making the decision. Has nothing to do with what we're going to choose or what we're going to do.
3: Can you talk a little bit about what's lost if God bases his decisions on our works? Mm.
0: Yes. So there's lots of different ways to try to get around this. So people don't like... Let's just, I'm just going to say it plainly. People don't like the idea that God is sovereign and that God can do whatever he wants and that God does do whatever he wants. Especially Americans, we want to think that we are sovereign. We want to think of our decisions determining whether we get salvation or not, whether we go to heaven or not, whether we know God or not. We want it to be our works, our ability to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, our ability to to be wise, to read the Bible, to go to church, to be good. And and that's not the way Scripture says it. Scripture says that God is completely sovereign, and He makes those decisions out of His own counsel. And any other formulation of salvation would take the sovereignty away from God and would put it on humanity, period. Period. And that's, and I'll be honest and say, and that scares the hell out of me <laughs> because I know what's in my own heart. I know what, and that we're, I don't want to get ahead of myself where we're going to go, where we're going in all this, but I know, um, what's in man. And Jesus talked about that. I know what's in man. So I don't give myself, I don't give myself fully to man. I don't trust myself in man. Cause I already know what's in man. Right. And if salvation depended on me or salvation depends on my kids or salvation, salvation depends on my wisdom, like, Think about, think about that, what that would mean for like people um, that have a low IQ. Because sometimes you read the gospel, and it's not simple to get, yeah. right? And it's it's hard to read. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, you just have a low IQ, and it's hard for you to put to put together how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament, and how Jesus died for your sins, and he's the only way to salvation. And if you can't put those two things together, I guess you're just out of luck. Well, no, God is sovereign over salvation. Mm-hmm. And it also means he knows how to get that person in Papua New Guinea and he knows how to get that person in Antarctica, and he knows how to get that person in Alaska, and he knows how to get that person in Rock Island, and he knows how to get Mm -hmm. that person in Davenport. Mm -hmm. God is sovereign in salvation. And so there's two, let me see, off the top of my head here, there's at least two ways this goes wrong. I mean, I'm going to give you three ways. One is um, the Armenian who thinks, the man can kind of that God is only God. God looks down the quarters of time and sees who's he's, who, who would choose him, and it puts the sovereignty on the that puts the sovereignty on the individual. Okay, I think that's wrong mm-hmm. because it takes away. Then God's not sovereign because God, um, God's making his own decisions. God is now contingent. God is now the contingent being based on your decisions, mm-hmm. right? And we've already said that God is not contingent on anything. We are the contingent ones. Right. Okay. Secondly, there's this thing called prevenient grace. Um, uh, I had a buddy, that, a buddy that believes this. This is like Methodists believe this a lot. And they believe God is basically given prevenient or uh, um, early grace. So everyone is born with this, like you're born in sin, but you're also given this this early grace that kind of makes you not as bad as you, are. It's, it's common grace on steroids in a sense that, mm. that now people have the ability to choose God. So everyone has quote unquote free will. Mm. Unlike reformers who believe and reformed, you're born with a will that's bound to sin, and that's, that will not get um, unbound, that will not be released until the grace of God releases it mm-hmm. through the gospel, right? And right. everybody who's elected, that's going to happen to. Prevenient grace, and Methodists teach that, no, everyone has this prevenient early grace that's, that's basically made every single human being on the face of the planet um, open for salvation, so they could possibly respond and it's completely up to them to respond okay you, again that puts all the pressure on the individual that puts the sovereignty of their salvation upon the individual um it's all their fault it's all you know and, and that would make that would be a work once they are saved then now hey i just chose to believe why don't you choose to believe mm. why don't you pull yourself up by your bootstraps that mm. can really create pride yeah. in the individual and then lastly is a thing called open theism That basically teaches that God is not sovereign, that God has kind of, it's like deism, that's kind of like God has created the world, he wound it up like a clock, and then he stepped back and let it go, and when he looks down the corridors of time, he doesn't even know what you're going to choose, Bryson, Mm -hmm. and he's just waiting on you to choose, and whatever you choose, then he's going to step in, and he's going to work it all out for your good, or whatever, and so that's called open theism, and again, that's a God who's not sovereign, and that's Mm -hmm. a God who's contingent upon the decisions of man.
1: It's like the greatest improv actor it's like, what you?
0: Yeah, God just. Sit, I mean, God's constantly busy because He's sitting back waiting. What's He gonna do? What's He gonna do? Okay, I guess I'm gonna respond this yeah. way to that. Wait
2: for it. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> Do you think you can break down the works a little bit? Because um, I don't want to get too far off. But like we talked about, point you're not gonna pull yourself up by the bootstraps. But then also in James it talks about faith without works is dead. Do you think you could speak to that a little bit?
1: And even even playing off that that same question. Uh, I hear a lot of people I, I think it's wrong and it's a bad interpretation of people who are reformed and people who are Calvinists but they'll say that Calvinists believe that faith is a work and so they'll take something like Ephesians 2 8 and 9 and say well faith is obviously a work so you can't pr- Calvinists believe you can't produce faith so salvation's not by faith alone does that kind of make sense what I'm saying?
0: <clears throat> no, well I, yes it makes sense but I disagree with it so um, faith is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's not a work. When that faith is given to me, I open it up and use it. That's still not a work because it was given to me. It's a gift of grace. Mm-hmm. That faith was a gift of grace to me. Okay, That's how I'm saved. I cannot be saved without giving that faith. The right. Holy Spirit has to give that to me. right? Or I'm a dead person laying on the table and somebody's preaching the gospel to me. What good is that? Mm-hmm. Right, God has to open my ears. That's He's giving me the gift of faith. He has to regenerate me. Okay, bring me to new life. Um, Alex, your question was, um, no one is saved by by works, but then James goes on and says, um, but you. So it, it, it's like think of it like this: God gives us faith like a seed, mm-hmm. right? And we receive that seed and then it's up to us, in a sense, to work that seed, to work that faith, to, to exercise that faith, right? right? It's a gift of God, but then we work it, we exercise it. As that faith grows, as we grow to trust God more and more and trust ourselves and the world and everything else less and less, that faith grows to works. That faith grows up into evidence that people can see, that we can see. You know, and so. Think of the farmer, think of the uneducated farmer that, you know, planted bad seed in his in his field and just every day he's walking out there and he's he's saying, like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And a year later, he's still saying, wait for it, wait for it. wait," And it never pops up. Mm -hmm. We would say you didn't plant the right seed. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, James would say, then you don't have faith. Because if, if God gives you true faith, that true faith is going to grow up into works. Mm. So youth pastors, just come down to the altar right now and God will save you right now. You pray this prayer right now. Nothing against altar calls. I think they're good for young people. I think young people do need to stand up and be counted and make decisions. But they, youth pastors go too far at youth camps and all these things because they guarantee people walk down the aisle and you're saved. Well, that's not you. You can't do that because some kids are walking down the aisle because their friend walked down the aisle. Some kids are walking down the aisle because that pretty girl over there was raising her hands up, and he wants to get her digits at the end of the night. And so he's walking down that aisle. He's praying the prayer, but he ha- does not have faith. He has not been given faith, yeah. and the evidence of his life will show. So will he walk with Christ? Will he join a church? Will he produce? And that's the
2: works part you're talking about. That's right? the works.
0: Okay. That's the works. That faith. It's like. God gives us the seed of God gives us the seed of faith, and if you've received that faith, it's gonna grow up in true obedience and true works. Yes. That's good. Uh-huh.
1: So if if there were uh four Arminians doing a podcast over their confession right now, I feel like a text that they would go to. I, I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's like uh those he foreknew he predestined.
0: Yeah. Romans eight.
1: Uh and I feel like that's maybe the only like, slight proof text they could even kind of hold a case to. Yeah,
0: and they just misinterpret foreknew. So again, foreknowing, so those whom he foreknew, right? He's he not talking about those who he looked at all their act. He already is omniscient. He already knows all things, right? If you're omniscient, you know everything already. Yeah. Remember, when the Bible talks about knowing, it's an intimacy. When Adam knew his wife Eve, Remember they produced a baby, not a book right it wasn't yeah. facts it was an intimacy you could also say for, for those he foreknew for those who he foreloved mm. for those he placed his love upon for those he gave grace to he predestined he, and down it's called the golden chain right down yeah. the golden chain of Romans 8 to all things work together for them the good of those who believe mm-hmm. yeah we should probably read that scripture actually sure if we want to go back to, to uh, uh, Romans. Romans 8, somebody wants to flip to it. Romans 8. It's the last few verses of Romans 8.
3: God's everlasting love? Yeah. Yeah. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus... Go back a little bit. Back a little bit? All right. 29? Yeah. All right. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified.
0: Yep, so that's called a golden, some theologians call it the golden chain of salvation. God, for those whom God foreknew, and I'm just going to skip all the things he says, they're going to be glorified. So God isn't dependent upon any man to save anyone. If God saves you, your salvation is absolutely eternally secure, and you will be made new, you will be glorified. Salvation is determined by God's work and not man's, 100%. Yeah. Okay, so let's just, uh, let's go on to, to number three. By the decree of God, and again, remember the decree of God, this isn't like the law of God where he, he makes laws, and you can obey them or disobey them. Mm-hmm. A decree is like when God said, let there be light, and there was light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, that's what it means. So God says, Alex Tate, be saved. And just like he said, let there be light, Alex Tate is saved. Amen. Okay, boom, yeah. <laughs> By the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory. So why does he do this? He does it for his own glory. Some men and angels are predestined are predestinated unto everlasting life and others foreordained to everlasting death what scriptures
3: do we have for that one Romans 9:22 and 23 and um, what if god desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. And then Ephesians 1, 5 through 6. So hold on, let's just talk about that right there. So Romans chapter 9 is
0: really no uncertain terms. Like he just straight up says there's vessels of wrath and there's vessels of mercy. And it's God's work that decides what he's going to do with each person. Okay? So the question is... um, This is what the question that gets asked a lot, right? Well, how could God be good if if he's the one choosing who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, right? And I think the Westminster divines do a good job of trying to differentiate something that gets confused a lot in quote-unquote Calvinism or Reformed theology. He says, for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined unto everlasting life and others foreordained to everlasting death. Mm. Now he doesn't say, some people talk about double predestination, that like God is like sitting with the mass of humanity in front of him. And he says, those on my right, I choose all of you to go to heaven. And those on my left, I choose all of you to go to hell. And so God looks, and it's not based upon our own, our own works, So he's not looking at us and saying those who lived a good life and those who lived a bad life. So he's really just being capricious and he's just up there and he's rolling the dice and he's saying, I'm going to send you to hell and I'm going to send you to heaven. But that's not what we believe. That would be called hyper-Calvinism. Some hyper-Calvinists that take it to the extreme, we would say, believe that. We don't think that's biblical. The Westminster Divines differentiate the words here between predestinate and foreordained. OK, and so let me read you this scripture um, before you. I know you got some other text here, but I want to read the scripture from John chapter three. We all know John three sixteen, right? Yeah, we all know that. But the end of the chapter in verse 36, Jesus says this. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Remains on him. Now, what is that getting at? That's getting at this idea that because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every single human being deserves what? Hell. Hell. The wrath of God. So we're born under the wrath of God. Okay? So this is not God choosing God choosing some people to bless and choosing some people to go to hell this is everyone on the planet has earned hell they're foreordained to hell right that's where they're going they've already d- but God predestinating to save some so this is not a bunch of good people out there and God chooses some to go to heaven and some to go to hell this is God walking down the the, the corridors of death of death row inmates and God choosing some of those death row inmates mm-hmm. to be saved, right and that manifests his glory that shows that he's a gracious and merciful and kind God. Well, well why doesn't he save all of them <laughs> We don't know why he doesn't save all of them, and if you knew, you'd be God, yeah right. But the, that's the that's the wrong question. The, that's the freaking wrong question. Why does he save any of them?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. If if out of all those people, God saved just one person, you could call him good and gracious.
0: Yeah. Everyone had earned the death row sentence. Yeah. Now you want to argue about that? You can you can argue. Ha, okay, you can argue that you that, that you are um, above reproach. Are you going to argue that you haven't broken the law? You're going to argue that you haven't broken the commandment to love God more than everything else in your life? Mm. If if you've broken the commandment, you deserve death and hell and judgment. And so if God gives grace to any, he's merciful. And what we're saying, because what's, what's evident when you look at our world is he's actually given grace to millions, maybe billions, maybe, right?
3: Yeah. You
0: have any more scriptures on that one?
3: Yeah, Ephesians 1, 5 through 6. Mm-hmm.
0: I that was... Who's got that? Not me, but I can get there. You really could go 1 through 6 on Ephesians.
1: Let me just do 1 through
0: 6? Sure, sure.
1: And it's Ephesians 1, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world
0: Pause. he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world he's not looking down the corridors of time he's writing it into eternity Before the foundations.
2: So you can't do anything to get in?
0: No. He did it. That's good. He rescued you and brought you in. Keep going. Uh,
1: That we should be holy and blameless before him.
0: Pause. So when he saves us, it does something to us. It makes us holy and blameless. Mm -hmm. Boom. Keep going.
1: In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. Wait, that
0: word ain't in the Bible? Predestined? Predestined? That's not in the Bible. Oh, it's right there, though.
1: I just made it up on the spot. Oh, it's
0: right there, though. (laughs) In love, he predestined us. So this is not God, you know, creating some kind of puppeteers, or he's being a puppeteer, and we're puppets. Predestination is a manifestation of the love of God. God is loving, so he walks down the corridors of the jailhouse, of the death row inmates, and he predestines some to salvation. Keep going
1: predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved
0: boom you've got it laid out right there this is not some systematic theology that has was created by John Calvin or St Augustine this is the apostle Paul clearly laying out this God has predestined us for salvation for adoption as sons and daughters, it was according to his own counsel of his will. It was for his own glory, and he did that because he's a loving God.
1: Amen. Yeah. All right? And what's, what's crazy is like, uh, like, if you look at the doctrine of election or even these six verses, what, what typically comes from them is controversy, but I think the intentions of Paul and the Holy Spirit in this is like to comfort you. Like, it should be a good comfort that your salvation rests on Christ choosing an election of you and not your own work.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to give a personal example. My daughter, um, Zoe, she's 10 years old, and she came to me last night, and she was in tears, and she said, Daddy, I don't know if I'm a Christian. And I said, Well, what do you mean, baby? What are you talking about? And she said, she has been, so she was sitting there. She's like, I couldn't even listen to, to to Pastor Rob preach today or I couldn't even hardly pay attention because all I could think about in my mind, it was like a comic book going through my mind of all the ways that I had been mean to my sister this last week. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about how I yelled at her and I was thinking about how I was mean to her and it was just going over and over in my mind. and And you know what? And she said and I said, Do you love your sister? He said, She said, Yeah, absolutely. And she's like, But I just can't tell her I love her. So I just feel so awkward, feel so weird to tell your sister you love her. And she's wrestling with this sense of and I so of like of guilt, right? Of guilt. And I said, Well, do you I said, Do you believe that that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? She said, yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I said, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you? Yes. I said, all right. I said, well, some, and she said, and the last couple of weeks, I just haven't felt connected to God in the Sunday worship like I normally do. And I said, okay. I said, well, honey, listen. First off, I'm going to tell you, you are a Christian and you are saved by God. And this is actually evidence that you are saved by God. Because when you sin against God, God, one of the things the Holy Spirit does, is he convicts us of our sin. He brings it before us so that we can repent to him and confess our sin to him. And then go to our sister and ask for forgiveness and be restored to the fellowship. And the and, and book of Acts talks about after times of repentance, times of refreshing comes from the Lord. And I'm like, you being convicted of your sin is actually evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. And I told her and like like a day before, I had, uh, it was bedtime and you know, she was being mean and I would gotten onto her and I would yelled at her. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit had woke me up in the middle of the night and go, you didn't need to yell at her, bro. And I was like, gosh, dang it. <laughs> so then I woke up in the morning and I said, hey, babe. I said, Zoe, and I said it in front of everybody because her siblings and her cousins heard it because they were you know be- all mm-hmm. together at bedtime. Yeah. I said, Zoe, I shouldn't have yelled at you last night. That was wrong. Daddy sinned. Will you forgive me? She said, "Yes, Dad, I'll I'll forgive you." And so I got to tell her in that night, in that moment when she said, "Oh, I don't know if I am really saved." I said, "Zoe, do you remember Daddy coming to you?" And I said, "I said, you know what? Two nights ago, Dad, you know, the Holy Spirit woke Dad up and and convicted me of my sin." And I go, "And what did I do the next morning?" She's like, "You you apologized and told us that you were sorry and you asked for forgiveness." I'm like, "Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit doing that to you. The same thing He's doing to me. He's doing to you, and that's actually evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in you." That Amen. he's bringing, bringing that to repentance. That's so. good. <clears throat> That's awesome. Where are we at? We got another scripture. Are we good? We're good. Okay. So we're moving on. Okay. No. Okay. So, we've talked about the difference then between. So God predestines to everlasting life, and He foreordains to everlasting death. That means He just He really passes over. It's like the Passover. Right, mm-hmm. he choo- so he's looking everybody's going to hell, and he chooses those who are going to heaven, and he passes over those who are going to hell. Mm-hmm. He's not capriciously sending people to hell. Now we could also get into the intricacies of those people that are going to hell. He's actually giving them what they want. Mm-hmm. Lewis mm-hmm. talks about this. C.S. Lewis talks about this. They want they want to be away from God. They want to be their own gods. They want to do their own thing. God, his passive wrath is to allow them to have what they want. Yeah. And ultimately, that's hell. Because the only place you can't even get away from God in hell, but that's where it leads. Okay. Chapter four. These angels and men, thus predestinated and foreordained, are particularly and unchangeably designed, and their number so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Now, what we're talking about here is what theologians call definite atonement, Hmm. really. When Jesus, let me say it like this. Who did Jesus die for on the cross? The elect. (laughs) (laughs) Any other answers? All right, I I can't expect bad theology here. Some would say Jesus died for the whole world. In a sense, from our perspective, we could say that's correct, from our perspective, but not from God's perspective. Because if Jesus died for the whole world, who would be saved? The whole world. The whole world would be saved. Because that's the way God works. He doesn't decree something That's dependent upon our own actions. He decrees things that are based on his own will. And so definite atonement teaches that when Jesus died on the cross, he actually saved the elect. So the sins of the elect were on Jesus when he went to the cross, and therefore he paid the real payment for their sins. Now listen, here's how this works out. If Jesus paid for everybody's sins then how could he judge them for their sins at the end time yeah. a person who doesn't accept christ as lord and savior they could get to the in judgment and go well didn't you die for everybody you've already paid for that debt you can't pay you can't charge charge me with my sin right now because that would be double payment yeah you don't get double payment it's either paid off or not has it been paid off and jesus will say my sheep hear my voice mm. and i died for my sheep and i paid the penalty for my sheep—that's yeah. who I. That's that's what my blood paid for at the cross, and so that means it's definitive. That's a definitive. What they say in, in this text is particularly and unchangeably, designed, and their number so certain and definite that can, it cannot be either increased or diminished. So the set number of people to be saved is already determined by God. It's not determined by us. It's not determined by our missionary societies. It's not determined by our church planting. It's not determined by anything that we are ever going to do. God has already determined every single person who's going to be saved. Now, what questions does that spark?
2: So why continue to preach the gospel? Why do we ask for forgiveness? Why do we, you know, repent?
0: Yes. Great question. That should be, the, that should be your first question. And the answer to that question is because God has ordained the end, but he also ordains the means. Okay? And the means is the preaching of the gospel, the planting of churches, the evangelization of the nations. So he's called us to be missionaries, to go out and do it, right? Um, Now, some people would say, some people try to say, like, well, if God's foreordained it, let's just sit at home and do nothing. That's taking one Bible verse out of context and forgetting the rest of them. He's also ordained us to get off our butts and go share the gospel. Yeah, you know. And I, I use this illustration a lot. Um, why do you preach the gospel? Why do you share the gospel with your non-believers if God's already ordained it? That's like asking me, why go fishing if God's already ordained, ordained that there's going to be fish in the pond? Uh, I go fishing because... I want to catch fish, right? And it's even better when I learn that God's ordained me to catch fish. That's even better. So now I'm going to now I'm not wishing like I like I do when I go fishing. I'm just hoping and praying that something's going to bite my hook. I know that I'm sent on mission by God. I know that I'm ordained to be here. I know that I'm ordained to be on mission to that person. I know that God has ordained people out there to receive the gospel and to receive salvation. And so I'm throwing the hook out. I'm sharing the gospel with the belief that some of those people are going to bite it. Some mm-hmm. of those people are going to be hooked.
3: Yeah.
0: And that's how God teaches us to be fishers of men. Mm.
3: Yeah. We got any text for this one? Yeah. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.19.
1: <clears throat> Here we go. Uh, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone whose name is, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity.
0: The Lord knows whose are his. He's got their names.
3: Yeah. Is that it? Is that the only scripture we had for that one? And then John thirteen eighteen.
2: I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me.
0: Jesus often spoke of the sheep and the goats. He knew who was his. He knew who the Father had given him. He knew who the elect were. And he spoke clearly about it, you know? And so there are two groups of humanity. There are the elect, and then there are the non-elect. There are the chosen, and there are the passed over. And that's true today. And I know that is offensive to some. Um, But honestly, I want to just say, with all grace, that we need to get over it. We need to get over this PC version of Christianity that doesn't treat scripture and doesn't let God be God because we've put our own values of equality for all um, above God's own word
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: that God knows who, who are his and God knows who are not his. And it's not up to us to soften that. It's not up to us to water it down. That should actually give us confidence to go out and declare the gospel because if we're missionaries and we're predestined by God to be saved, that means he's sent everywhere He sends us. He's He's got people that He wants us to share the gospel with that He's already predestined,
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: right? The Book of Acts, um, I, I, I'm terrible off the top of my head sometimes, but the Book of Acts talks about that there's some in this city that God that are His, and that Paul he did Paul was wondering if he should leave, and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit was like, nope, you stay in this town because there are many here that 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 are Mine, and you don't even know it yet and you're going to start preaching the gospel and they're going to come to grace and they're going to come they're going to come to the table. And so, predestination isn't something that should make us cold, isn't something that should make us aloof, isn't something that should cause us to give up on the means of preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel and evangelizing. It should be something that put steel in our spine and should really just get us out there on mission. You know, if somebody tells me there's fish in that pond to be caught, I'm more likely to go fishing. Right? Yeah. Than if, then if I'm just guessing some random pond. Yeah. Right? So, this is some of the doctrine of predestination and foreordination and election. So, if you have questions on this, email us in to the podcast. We'd love to answer them as best as we can. We hope this edified you. Guys, it would really do us a huge solid if you could share us like us. And if you haven't done yet, rate us on iTunes. It helps other people find us and it just gets us in front of more people that more people can hear the gospel. So hopefully this was helpful to you guys. We love you. We'll be back soon. God bless.